you want really good coffee to take on your next adventure, use CS Instant Coffee. You can find out more about them at csinstant.coffee. Because I could easily get into that trap too. Like I could be like, oh man, Carl Egelhoff or Killian Journey, like I'll never be that fast. Like why should I even try? I should just give up now. You know, like there's no happiness in comparison. Happiness is in finding an experience that you feel is worth it for you and going for it. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, happy Monday, and I hope you had a great weekend, and thanks for listening to the show. Uh, We have a great episode today. Um, It's a little longer than usual, but it's just so much good content. Jason and I just really hit it off and started talking, but uh, Jason Hardrath is a PE teacher out in Oregon, and in, in his free time, he does these fastest known time attempts on these incredibly interesting routes, like if you've ever been to Crater Lake, he did basically a circumnavigation of the lake along the ridge of the mountain peaks around the lake. And that's a route that he has a record for. Um, He lost it and then got it back, as you'll hear early in the discussion. But he's done some just absolutely suffer fest of trips. He did the Cascade Trifecta, which he holds the circumnavigation for. And I believe that's Baker, Mount Adams, and Mount Rainier, all under 20 hours. 20 hours, y'all. That's those are multi-day trips for most people, but all, all three of them, and he did them all together under in in one single day. So we get to hear about what gave him the motivation to start doing this, as well as why he likes to do adventures like this. And also, if you go to our website adventuresportspodcast.com, there's going to be a picture on this episode's post of Jason attempting to cross Death Valley on foot in record time. And it is a bizarre picture. We talk about it towards the end of the interview, but if you want to see it yourself, I believe it's on his Instagram too, which is all in the show notes. And he gets to share how to follow him at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoy listening to him. He's just a great guy, amazing stories, and his desire to be the world's leading fastest known timer. Currently, he's in second place with 34 fastest known times under his belt. If you'd like to follow him, all that's in the show notes and we get to hear what drives him to do this. Pretty incredible. Hope you enjoy and yeah, have a great week. Jason, welcome to the show. Uh, Man, I you know people just heard the intro, but I'm really excited to to get into this and get talking to you. But uh, yeah, first of all, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So so where exactly are you coming from today? Uh, today I'm in Klamath Falls, Oregon, down in Southern Oregon. Yeah. Okay. We just had a recent. We just had another guest on from Klamath Falls, who's a, a paddler and fisherman, and he was really cool. So. There must be something in the water out there. <laughs> it's uh, it's a pretty amazing place to uh, to come play for sure. It seems you know I don't hear a lot about it. It seems kind of it's still off the beaten path a little bit. It, does it feel like that there, or is that totally wrong? 
Yeah, down here, I mean, a lot of people know about like the Portland area and the Willamette Valley, but yeah, out here in uh, Southern Oregon and in Eastern Oregon, there's not, a lot of people don't know about it. Wow. You know, I've actually never been to Klamath Falls itself, but I've been definitely in the area. Seems just incredible from some research I did after that one interview, but uh, is is that where you grew up? Is that home for you now? I mean, not now, but before, or, or and if not, how'd you end up there? Well, I was born and raised in uh, northeastern Oregon in a little town called Baker City, which is a great little hunting town, historic town nestled in the uh, in the Elkhorn Mountains. Um, so yeah, this has been home for a long time, and I bounced around the state and lived in different places and have traveled a bunch, but. Every time I go somewhere else, I'm like, man, you know, this reminds me of such and such in Oregon, or I'll go a new place and it'll remind me of a different place. I'm like, I live in a pretty awesome state. (laughs) You really do. It's, you got everything, man. And you got a coastline too, where I'm coming from Denver and you know, it's really nice. Now don't get me wrong, but when you got, when you have the, you know, the added adventure of the ocean, I don't know. That's just, there's so much more it adds because it's not just the mountains and the ocean. It's all that intermingling of the two as well that are just just it's really cool absolutely i totally agree man you know you've got a really interesting kind of hobby that you do or, or passion what where, where did this start for you did you grow up pretty adventurously were you doing this kind of stuff as a kid did your parents take you out a lot and if not when, when did you kind of start discovering this Well, I was lucky. I did have a family that was outdoors oriented. Um, My dad, especially, he was definitely into getting out and hunting and getting out on foot and um, seeing places, taking us camping, bought us dirt bikes. You know, we were getting out in the hills and the mountains for different reasons um, pretty often as a kid. And then we would always do a family trip to the coast every year. So I definitely got a taste of getting outdoors from a pretty young age and that it's a normal thing for a human being to like spend time out there. But I think the thing that made me unique from my family is, you know, usually it's a bad thing when people refer to it, but I was the ADHD kid, like not like (laughs) not nowadays ADHD where it's kids who stare at too much TV and too many phone screens have ADHD. So they just give them pills to get them to get through school. But like back before it was cool, I like to say, um, I was diagnosed with like a 37 second attention span, just could not sit still to save my life. And movement was basically the only thing that really helped other than medicating me. And my family did try that for a while. But I learned from a young age how important it was to move my body, just constantly needing to be out there doing stuff. And that made it really easy as I kept aging and growing to get engaged with physical challenges and and just things that normal people who are able to just sit still and like, you know, not feel the urge to move their body constantly, maybe don't get into. Um, and I consider that a blessing myself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely, you can look at it as a curse for sure. But, uh, you know, if you can look at it in a positive light and take advantage of it, man, I'll, obviously it's paying off for you because you're, you're, you're doing a lot of really cool stuff that we're going to get into. So, so movement. So you had to had to move. What, what what were you doing? Like, were you just playing a lot of sports, playing outside a lot? And and yeah, uh, I mean, I I played a lot of sports as a kid. Um, wasn't great at all. I'm certainly not not an elite athlete by any means um, from my genetics. Um, but because 
you know, I was too stupid to ever just like give up and sit down and, you know, <laughs> walk it off. I got way more practice than most, most people. And I also am able to sort of like fixate on stuff and almost, you could, you could call it obsession. I can get obsessed when I'm okay with that. Cause when I'm feeling that passion, that's what makes me feel alive. And so I can sort of like flip this switch and be totally willing to put in endless amounts of effort to figure something out to, you know, get into a new sport or, or advance in a sport I'm in. And so from a young, like at a super young age, I got into skating and would just constantly like sneak away from my parents actually hated it, would sneak away from the house and just go skating all day. And a lot of kids go sneak out to go skating, to go do drugs. Me, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I just want to skate. Right. I don't want to keep skating until I na- nail this trick and nail that trick and nail yeah. this trick. I'm, I'm and, jittery enough right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm jittery enough. I need to calm down. Um, and so that sort of, I think, laid the, the base foundation of sort of my move all day without stopping kind of fitness. And then from there, I broke my wrist took a big spill on the board and the parents were like, sweet, we can tell him no more skating in our house. Cause this costs too much. And, you know, with the hospital bills and everything. And so discovered running and got, got onto the track team in middle school. And then that led into wanting to make it onto varsity in high school and then wanting to make it to state and just being the person who like, you know, there's, there's up in Eastern Oregon, there's good snowstorms in the winter. And I would be the one who's out there running through the snowstorm and people are like, Holy cow, you're crazy. And I started to thrive on that. People oh, started yeah. what I was doing that I was out in these extremes and being like, you're crazy. It's like, huh, it's a good day if I can get called th- crazy three times. Um, <laughs> so that kind of set the tone early in life. And then I just kind of kept building on that and setting bigger goals, ran, ran in college. That was one of my big dreams in high school is mm-hmm. to get onto a college team. And then that set the stage as far as the foundation of fitness to transition into marathons and Ironmans. Then I had a big car accident in 2015, was ejected from a vehicle. Um, and that sort of hit a hard reset switch, but that allowed me to sort of shift my focus into the mountains and back into the outdoors. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I can tell you why it is. Um, one of the injuries that happened among many was my LCL and ACL got completely destroyed. Um, so I had to have them surgically replaced and then had to go through all the rehabilitation. And for the longest time, I couldn't bend my knee much and I couldn't quite straighten it all the way. Um, and in order to have an efficient running stride, you have to have a moment where your leg straightens all the way so that you can engage your gastric muscle of your calf and get an efficient push off through your Achilles tendon. And I couldn't do that anymore with that leg. So I went from being, you know, a person that was used to cruising along for a marathon at 630. Well, I say cruising, but it was extremely painful, but being able to run like 630 mile pace for a marathon to where I could barely hobble along at 12 minute miles. Oh my gosh, dude, that had to be just crushing, like a huge identity crisis. Yeah, uh, it was the identity part of it was a huge thing to to go through and to sort of be forced to resort identity and behavior. Because so often in our culture, we we dis- we self describe by behavior, and sort of coming to that realization that it's like, no, it's because I'm a passionate person and I'm a creative person and I'm a driven person and I just choose running to be the medium I paint through. I choose triathlon to be the medium I paint through as opposed to 
I am a runner. I am a triathlete. This is what I am. Mm. And there was a lot of self-work that did go into that no kidding. Um, for sure. But yeah, nevertheless, it still, it still sucked to go from being capable of, you know, running multiple, you know, six minute miles in a row to, you know, struggling to run tens and twelves. So, so you said your direction, your kind of focus shifted towards the mountains. Why do you think that is? What I discovered is what I knew, cause I, I had to study biomechanics and all that. Cause I'm a, I'm a PE teacher. Um, and what I knew is when you're climbing up steep hills and descending steep hills, that biomechanical feature of efficient running, where you have to be able to straighten your leg to maximize the efficiency of the gait, that's gone. You, you almost always keep your knees somewhat bent while ascending steep and descending steep. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm a hill climber now. And I started climbing some of the local hills at first while I was still, well, I technically shouldn't have been. I wasn't even cleared by my doctor to do it yet. Um, but once again, can't sit still. So I started climbing some of the local hills and local hills led to some of the local mountains. And then that led to some of the 14er mountains and some of the biggest mountains in the state. And I really started cultivating a variety of mountain skills, um, you know, using ice axe and crampons and using them increasingly efficiently. And so I accumulated this new skill set. And then that led to me accumulating rock climbing and rope skill sets, anchors, all those, all those things that go along with rock climbing. Uh, because I started running into these mountains where it's like, oh, I want to be competent making, you know, five, six, five, seven rock climbing moves um, at the top of these mountains. I don't want to get to the top of the mountain. And then the summit spire involves rock climbing and I have to turn around because I don't feel comfortable. I, I, I want to be able to knock the whole thing out and I want to be able to do it solo. And, you know, sort of that feeling of being able to do something under your own power was very important to me during this sort of recovery phase where, it, I wanted it to be about recovering my freedom and my power. And so over the course of a few years, I accumulated uh, a massive variety of skill sets and rebuilt the fitness. I mean, I, I won't say I'll ever get back to where I was perhaps because I definitely damaged a lot of lung tissue because of the impact of the accident. And so it never, it's never gotten back to feeling quite the same, but I've gotten, I've done some pretty amazing stuff and I'm definitely not disappointed, but occasionally that thought creeps in like, Oh, what could have I done if, you know, the car accident happened, hadn't happened. Do you, do you think you'd be even attempting these things though, if the car accident didn't happen? Probably not. I would probably still be completely enamored with the triathlon and marathoning world. And I may have never transitioned to do this stuff, which I don't know. I think this is way cooler in my opinion. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I apologize. I actually work with a lot of triathletes at work and I think it's really cool. But personally, anytime I can do something adventurous or athletic in, in nature over in, in an organized event, I'm always going to choose like the solo adventure. I don't know. It's just a lot more fulfilling. Well, no, and I think they both serve their purpose. I mean, <clears throat> definitely, definitely different types of workouts. I think, I think in the same degree, you can look at like anything from an ultra marathon or a triathlon where what you're basically paying for is for a race director to take care of the logistics for you. Where should you have food and water? Where should the course go? You know, like the race director, you're, what you're paying for is there'll be water at certain places. The course will be marked. Like I don't have to do the logistics myself. <clears throat> All I show up with is the fitness. So they're great for testing your mm -hmm. fitness on a variety of terrains. You can just choose the type of race, whether you want a mountain race, a sky running race, an ultra marathon, a triathlon, a flat road course. You can you can find what you want. I mean, you can go race on the track as an adult even. Um, yeah. 
But what I love about, and I'll go ahead and you know use the term since we haven't yet in this in this talk. What I love about FKTs, which are fastest known times, is you sort of kick those. And I, I'm going to call it training wheels off. I don't mean it in a demeaning way to anyone who races. I think the people who show up and you know show up prepared and win races, like that's amazing. That's incredible what they do with their bodies. Yeah, it is. And I might there there are so many races in the world I could never win. Um, but the thing that's unique to me about the fastest known time world is I'm stepping out and I'm taking care of all of those logistics on my own, all of the course decisions, all of the, is this hillside faster or that hillside? What, what has the wind done with the snow? What is the sun doing in the snow? What time of day should I hit this to be able to move as fast as possible? Where's water available? Like all of these little details. And so there's this creativity and this problem solving element that's now back in your own lap, along with the fitness, you still have to show up with the fitness to do the hundred miles, but now all the little details that come along in that hundred miles or 50 miles or 10 miles are your own. And it reintroduces this ability where, Oh yeah, no, this athlete on a race course, I could never beat them. Like there might be an athlete that has an FKT and if we were both racing a similar distanced race, I couldn't beat them. Like 99 times out of 100, they would beat me. But because I might be able to find a more creative route or hit it at a better time of day or in better weather or with, you know, lighter resources, I might be able to beat their time. That makes total sense. I mean, you know, the, the few organized events I have done, I will say it's a really cool sense of community. And there's this motivation, you know, you don't have if you're out in the woods by yourself a lot of times when there's, you know, tons of people watching or racing against you, you know, that's, that's definitely totally different than, than my, the solo trips. But yeah, man, the, it, there's that mental aspect that comes in when you're doing something like a fast, uh, an FKT that maybe someone who's used to those organized events and those things being taken care of. And who's kind of used to zoning out maybe on a course, you just don't have that option when you're doing what you're doing because you have to pay attention. Like, is that water? I got to get it. I can't just not pass it. I need water. Is that, I, you can't just zone out on your route. You know what I'm saying? Unless it's just a really organized trailer or, well, you know, March trail or something. But even then, you got to pay attention out there, man, because it, it can be. The stakes are a lot higher if you make a wrong turn. <laughs> exactly exactly oh my gosh man so so what was your first fkt did you did you mean to do it did you set out to do it and what was that like no actually it was kind of a um the, the first one i ever did was kind of an accident um a buddy and i we'd just gotten into doing really big adventures mixing mountains and trails and stuff and uh, a friend of ours was doing a, a, a separate challenge where he was hitting all of the 8,000 foot peaks in Oregon, which is something that's very seldomly done. You know, usually people will focus on the taller peaks. And so he was traveling around hitting all these peaks. And some of them, um, seven of them are around Crater Lake, just at high points around the rim. Yeah. And so he drove around the rim and hit the high points. He's like, oh, you guys should do that sometime. And then we're like, oh, we should do that but we should run around the whole rim hitting the high points and get views of the lake that few people ever get to see. Um, Cause lots of people run around the lake or bike around the lake on the roadway, but it's different when you're up on the high points of the rim. And so we're like, let's go do that. And we just did it for fun. We didn't really push ourselves crazy hard. 
But then afterwards, I discovered the whole fastest known time realm. And I'm like, that's a classic route. Like, that is a mega classic route in one of the most beautiful places in the world. That needs to be on there. And sure enough, as soon as I submitted it with our time, some people came along and beat our time. And since then, I think the record, and we ju- this was just uh, back at the end of 2018 that we did it. Um, and I think the record has changed hands like four or five times now. Oh, wow. So... This the sweet, sweet honey of getting the fastest known time was was quickly ripped from your hands. Dude. Yeah, but I got it back. I, I have it again now. Oh, you got it again now? <laughs> I, yeah, no, I hadn't mentioned that yet. No, I did go back uh, here just uh, it was only a, like a couple months ago, and I went for it again and managed to take it back. Holy crap! Uh, You're like, give me that back. That's mine. <laughs> it's too cool of a route. I had to go at least one more time and try <laughs> for it. Well, that that is nuts, man. And now, now people have heard in the uh, in the intro that you have right now thirty four fastest known times to date. I, I I was really curious, you know, with pursuing these, how how often do those change hands for you? How often does that number change for you? Is it like every week you got to check, or um, you know what I'm saying? Because people are, yeah. I'm sure, see you're doing it and then say, oh, I'm 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 chasing Jason, basically. Absolutely, yeah. So the thirty four is my historic number of FKT. Uh, so like yeah, the okay. total number that I've ever had. So there may be some of those currently. And I think there are like a one or two of them that are no longer mine. But yeah, I, tr- I track by that number just because it is so difficult. And one of my, I have like, I have a, I have a bigger overarching goal with why I'm doing so many that'll play out over the course of the next couple of years. Okay. And so it's just too difficult to like, try to go back through and keep track and plus if you look at the fkt website that's how they track it per on the athlete page it's yes. just number of historical fkts you know i'm sure it's just for their sake just way easier to to, to manage it that way so what would it, can you mention your overarching goal or is that kind of a secret well for starters i i, I want to have i want to get to the point where i have more of them than anyone else um, yeah, I'm you're, not, you're not far, man. You're in second place, right? Second place. Wow. The I person... mean, and it's a decent gap between you and third too, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, it's cl- I'm sure it closes in all the time. And I'm sure there's people that are really raising through the ranks, but, but this is f- for people to listen in fastest known time.com slash athletes. And Jason is number two, I guess in the world or a country. In the that that website is the world, so that does include wow. all around the world. That is awesome, yeah. man. I, I will say there are like there are obviously the thing with FKTs is there are like super classic routes. I'm going to be humble right now that like elite athletes have done, and like I don't own any of those. I'm not I'm not a super elite. I'm just I'm a guy who has a creative mind. I mean, some of the ones on my list are things that I saw, like I saw it out there in nature, like a ridge line or whatever, and I'm like this is way too cool of a route to not be on here. Like this is something people should come and try to repeat. And so quite a few of mine are that, I mean, I have a few like the Rainier infinity loop. Um, that one had been hit by some hard hitters and I managed to pull that one off just on sleep deprivation and my ability to move through glaciated terrain quickly. So like there are a few of them that have garnered a bit of attention. I was on the, uh, FKT of the year nomination list twice, once for the Cascade trifecta and once for the Rainier infinity loop. 
because both of those people are like, what? You broke both of those 10 days apart? Some of mine are like bigger ones, but a lot of them are just like passion projects where it's like, oh man, I've got to go do this. This is too cool. Or, you know, one of them I really want to go do is the uh, Hell's Canyon Rim to Rim to Rim because that's the deepest canyon in North America. And it's right near my hometown, Baker City. And so it sort of feels like my backyard. We used to go, sw- we used to go swim and play and boat and fish in the Snake River. And you get to swim across the river at the bottom of the canyon. Um, there's no bridge. So you, you do this fast water swim two times over the course of a 50 plus mile day. Um, so it just sounds like this amazing experience. And that's, that's the real driving reason. Like, I mean, it's cool that people recognize in the whole FKT community, what I'm doing, but I don't think it really changes what I'm doing. I I'm just going after the things that are like, Oh, that's too cool. Like I need to go do that. I have to go do that. Time for a quick message break. CS Instant Coffee is definitely the best instant coffee I've ever had. In fact, just out of convenience and how good it tastes, I decided for the last year I've been taking it on every single adventure I go on from backpacking to bike tours. Uh, Just from convenience sake, it's really high quality and it keeps me from having to take a bunch of other equipment out in the woods. Uh, But it's not just for going out on adventures. My wife actually takes some to work Every single day with her, she takes a couple packs uh, to refill her coffee mug uh, as a teacher. She doesn't have a ton of time to um, have to you know, make fresh coffee all the time. So she just needs a little hot water, can pour the coffee in, and she's ready to go for her next class and not waste a lot of time. So if you're crunched for time in your job, uh, I would definitely suggest giving it a shot because they have been huge supporters of the show for the last year, and I really appreciate everything they've done for us, and it would mean a lot to me to go support them. So if you're interested, go to csinstant.coffee and uh, support those who are supporting the show. It would go a long way. Thank you. All right, let's get back to the episode. And so, you know, for people who are, you know, listening, the, these fastest known times are essentially, you know, these these outdoor kind of it may maybe on trail, maybe off trail kind of routes that either you create or or things other people have have done challenges and you go out there and try to do it faster than anyone currently. And so they're they're they they seem like I, I looked through quite a few years and they seem like really just wilderness solo like experiences that are way out there, man. So so I I I don't want people thinking like it's like a run across you know a, a city or something. So it's definitely these amazing wilderness experiences that man I can only imagine how epic some of them have have seen or have felt and the, the scenery that you've been able to to see. I can't even imagine. It's, uh, it's been really awesome that way. Cause since I've gotten on this, this whole train of like going and discovering these routes or repeating routes that others have done, or occasionally I'll like find a route in a backpack backpacker guide or described in a rock climbing magazine that I'm like, Oh, that needs to be turned into a part of like an FKT course. And then I'll like dream up and map out a course in all of those. What I realized is it's drawn me into these beautiful places to go push my body hard and I get to go experience and see things that I might not have done. Like I might not have been motivated to drive all those miles and just go, you know, hike a particular hill or climb a particular route. But because it's part of this big passion project, I've gone to so many different places to, to 
scout routes and to see how quickly certain sections can be done that are technical. And I've just spent so much time hanging around these beautiful wilderness spaces that like, it's like the lifestyle of it is phenomenal. So yeah, I mean, to your listeners, like if you want some cool ideas, whether you want to try to break an FKT or you're just looking for some really interesting epic routes, spending some time clicking around the routes at the FKT website, like you can find some amazing stuff um, with some great beta for how to like follow the route and the most efficient way to move through like a given section. Um, Because obviously these people who are doing it, whether it's me or someone else, like they're breaking it down. They're trying to understand how to do it as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible, which means even if you're going to go take three days on something they did in 10 hours, you're still going to know the most efficient way to get through it. You're not going to run into dead ends because they sort of mapped some of that out for you. So it could be a cool resource in that way. Absolutely. You know, that that's a great point that a lot of these routes, especially the, the kind of created ones, if you want to attempt that or like recreate it, like, you know, some, some of the more classical ones, you, you don't need to go for an FKT, but you can experience the same thing. Just, you know, at, at your pace, that's a great, oh, that's a great idea. So, so, you know, we talk about on this show a lot that it's, I, I love what you just said. Like you might've not gone to those places otherwise. And it's so true. Like we talk on this show a lot. One reason it's called adventure sports podcast is because a lot of times it's your sport or your hobby that basically gives you framework to go do these experiences out there that you wouldn't, I don't know, like have the reason to otherwise it's like, you know, I, I want to go mountain bike here cause it's a cool place to do it. But I, I need that bike to get me there. If that makes sense. Like I, I need to have that hobby in place, that passion in place to kind of justify going out there and spending the time and money to go do it. Um, I don't know. It's just weird how that happens, but you know, that's a great way to put it as well that you might not go to these places otherwise. I think it's sort of the story element of it. I mean, we need a compelling story to, to give us that reason. And I think, you know, obviously we, we watch movies that are good movies for certain reasons, because the characters do certain things and overcome certain things and face certain odds. And then we sort of lose track of that sometimes in our own life. That that's the reason we like seeing that in a movie or at reading that in a book is because that is the essence. That is the storyline of a good life. And so I think we, through our sports, we can find a compelling enough story with enough difficulty to overcome that suddenly we can find the motivation and we are willing to spend the money to go into these amazing places and and do what we do regardless of what that sport is and i think you know that's the years the days months years of life that go into living along those lines are going to be way healthier and happier than if it's like well i'm gonna you know save some money and just sit at home and watch netflix like you're not going to have memories from Netflix. You're not going to be no. proud of yourself for Netflix. But you go out and do some of this stuff and you have memories that you just wake up and smile about because you're like, holy cow, I can't believe I actually did that. <laughs> that's. That, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about adventure for folks out there. It, it's something that you never let go of. And you don't want to be someone that just you know lives in those, quote, glory days of your adventures, but you know, if, if some, like, say if you got in a wreck now and you couldn't do these anymore and just talk about these all the time, but it, it, it it's weird. You do wake up sometimes or think sometimes something reminds you and you're like, 
that reminds me of my Oregon's five highest route or the Rainier infinity <laughs> loop. And it just puts a smile. It makes you feel so content about your life. I don't know. That's incredible. So, so man, you know, you, you seem to have done a lot of these kind of in, in areas like kind of a cluster together or at least in, in regions. Is there any particular area that was just awesome to you that maybe you didn't know about or, or a particular FKT that really sticks out to you as very, very memorable for good or bad reasons? Oh, man. Um, I know that's like super hard to choose i'm sure <laughs> that's big um who i mean like like going and and i did go try uh the hell's canyon one back in october but got snowed out like on a freak day you know my buddy who was going to do it with me who was my first training partner back in baker um for iron man he, he showed up to do it with me and it's like yeah in the last 19 years of my life living here, if we'd showed up on this same day, we would have had sunny, warm weather and been able to knock it out. But freak snow came in and we got shut down. Um, but we at least got to kind of go scope the route. And it's like, as I stood there and looked at it, it's like, oh man, you know, I might not have made it back out here, especially from this angle, like looking at Hell's Canyon from this view, like I might've never made it here. And so that's, that, that one kind of stands out to me because it's back in the hometown. And I have a few others that are near my hometown as well that I'm looking to do, kind of in the Wallawa Mountains and, and some stuff like that that I think are going to be super beautiful because um, that's such an underappreciated area. And then as far as ones that I've done and completed, I don't know. I'm never going to look at Oregon the same way anymore, I don't think, after doing the Oregon's five highest. Because when you're on the Three Sisters Mountains and you can see Hood way out there, on the horizon. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, I'm, I am going to attempt to move all the way to that on my feet. Wow. Yeah. That's gotta be mind blowing. <laughs> it's, it's, it was mind blowing. And I had to kind of put it out of my mind and go back to just thinking about what was right in front of me. Cause you know, like if you try to think about the whole, all, all 145 miles at once, like you're going to be overwhelmed, oh, especially yeah. if you're struggling in the miles that you're in. You're, you're running and that, that mountain way out there isn't moving. It's like the moon up in the sky. It's like, <laughs> it's just, fi it's just a fixture. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you got to just not look at it. Cause yeah, that would drive you crazy. And so I remember rounding the corner where I rounded this corner in the PCT after knocking out the three sisters, after knocking out Jefferson, which was absolutely heinous that time of year. There were a couple of times, like normally I, even in ridiculous fatigue and like in insane climbing conditions, I'm still in type one fun. Like I'm still smiling through it. I think all the years of endurance sport, I've sort of learned that to be that when the pain comes pouring on, it's like, I just smile and go, okay, now we've started. Now the game is on, you know, while it's easy, it's like, Oh, we haven't even started yet. It doesn't start till it's hard. Kind of one of those little mental tricks that we pick up. Time. And so I think type one fun, but Holy cow on that descent, especially of on the just terrible rock condition and like no snow cover on like loose dirt on super steep terrain. Yeah. I definitely slipped into some type two fun moments where it's like, I just want to be off this mountain alive and not broken. Um, <laughs> and that very rarely happens to me. And it was only for a little while, only for a few minutes that I slipped across. And then I made some like really, really scary moves. 
and got through to a more safe section. I'm like, okay, back at it, back to work. But anyways, back up to, to the moment I was going to refer to, I rounded this corner in the PCT and I can just remember the view like vividly in my mind and like Mount hood was right there. Like, I mean, I was still like 10, 15, well, maybe 20 miles away from it. But at that point, like hood looks huge. Like it's in your face from 20 miles away. Yeah. Um, and I remember just weeping because it's like, holy cow, I've done it. Like I'm here. I've covered all that ground. And that, that was a phenomenal experience. And yeah, so I, like whenever I see those mountains, it just feels different. Like they used to seem so far apart. And now it's like, wait a minute, I've, I've covered that distance on foot between those and climbed them. That's an unbelievable thing to be able to tell people, you know, when you're looking at them like, yeah, see those two, I traveled from one to the other (laughs) (laughs) on foot. That's unreal. So, so I know people, I'm not, I'm not too, we don't talk tons about gear on the show, but I do love to ask, especially when it's a sport, we don't talk about a lot, you know, obviously traveling lights, a big deal. What do you, what do you typically carry? on one of these attempts and i'm sure it depends on you know the length and all that but what what does a typical kit look like well i tend a lot of my packs are ultra packs uh from like ultimate direction um i have one that i've really liked their fkt pack it's you know it's named for it um it's a really versatile pack that's built super lightweight um and i have the jason hardrath pack (laughs) i'm hoping and dreaming anyways um I've used that pack and a couple of their others, depending on if I need like significantly more storage. Um, oftentimes I'll just run super light, like really limited gear and I'll just embrace discomfort. Now on the, on the like Oregon's five highest, that was a supported effort. It was established as a supported effort. And so I repeated it. Well, the guy didn't quite finish it, but he set out to do it in a supported style. So I was like, okay, I'm going to set out to do it in a supported style, which means um, my support crew could have like a camp set up for me at different places. But in between that, cause there were like stretches of like 40 miles sometimes where it's like, Oh, we're not going to see each other. I would just carry like a soul bivy. I forget shelter outdoors or something. Um, but it's just like a super thin, super lightweight. Like you're not going to be comfortable while you're in it, but you might be able to get 30 minutes or an hour of sleep before you're too cold and you like wake up and you're like, okay, time to move again. But I kind of do that on purpose with my kit because I don't want to be too comfortable. I don't want to feel like, oh, yeah, I can just stop indefinitely. I want that like added motivation of like, it's like, no, I, I have to move because sort of the essence of a fastest known time is that you're not going to waste a ton of time on comfort. And then the nice part on that is I, have, I get to carry way less weight, um, which means I can move more efficiently and it doesn't hurt as much to carry. So oftentimes my kit will weigh like if it's an ideal effort, I'll be down maybe around 12 pounds. Um, if I have to go like a really long stretch, it might be, uh, just a little under 20 pounds. I think, um, is a pretty good range of where I try to keep it for staying fast and light. Um, Recently, I attempted the north to south crossing of Death Valley, and that's a different beast because it's established unsupported. And from the north to south, it's 167 miles. And so you're in in an unsupported style, 
you're not allowed to accept any kind of help. Um, you can't, you know, take a drink of water from a faucet. You, you've got to like either get it, you've got to be able to pump it from a spring yourself, um, like through a filter, or you just carry it from start to finish. And the thing about Death Valley is, um, unless somebody knows about a filter that's way better than what I know, what I know of, the water is super salinated and it just like, you, you can't really pump, you can't really filter that um, to drink. As far as I know, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm behind on the technology there. Um, so you, the way I set out to do it and the way the previous two, only two people have ever finished it, um, is they just carried all their water from the start and all their food yeah. from the start. So 167 miles worth of water and food. In, how, how much is that? Um, for In their reports, they both talked about starting with 90-pound packs. My pack at the start, because I decided to be super aggressive with my timeline, which ended up biting me in the butt. Um, I was at about 40 pounds, just a little under 40 pounds. That's unreal. I What? <laughs> that's just crazy. Sorry, I, that's just well, where. Can I ask this? Where did that start? Is that is there a point it started, or is it just some spot in the desert? So it starts basically. There's a, a couple of roads that make like a 90 degree intersection in the north, and I guess they just decided to set the park boundary at the edge of those roads, and so that's the northernmost point. And I had to walk an extra four and a half miles just to get to it because it was snowed in. So I had to walk through you know deep snow to get to it. Cause that corner is like your, the highest point of your whole endeavor. Yeah. Probably most people don't think of snow when they think of death Valley, but you're at 6,300 feet and a snowstorm had just come through like two weeks prior. And I mean, in like a ideal world, if I was a sponsored athlete, I would have just avoided, I would have let it melt out more, mm-hmm. but I'm a school teacher. So it's like, well, this is my break. So I've got to try to deal with what I've got. And so, yeah, I had to spend the, a good chunk of the first day in quite a lot of snow and that came back to bite me too because having to deal with like just keep moving on wet feet because it was too cold to like stop and try to dry them out or try to dry my shoes out just kind of was like well just got to keep moving till I'm I get low enough that it's warm enough that I can stop because once again like I said I packed super light which meant uh, my gear was kind of set for the conditions down in like you know from just below a thousand feet down to negative 282 feet in the Badwater Basin. Like I was planning on those temperatures, not the temperatures up high. So it kind of set my first day to be a huge day. And because of the wet feet, that that's one of the things that came back to bite me is I just had like, I think a total of four blisters on one foot and two blisters on another, on the other. Jeez, um, man. Cause of snow. Cause of the snow and the wet. And then having to grind through the rocks and I sent you that picture of like how sharp the salt can form these like block formations. That was the most, I showed my wife cause we both, we love death Valley. We try to go every year. You know, we've definitely seen snow on those mountains. We've never been up to them, but dude, that picture you showed me looks like you were walking on a coral reef. It, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was the ground was, I mean, it's, I said, that's a great comparison. I hadn't thought about it like, well, I don't know because well, we were just in Florida and there's like coral lining people's driveways and stuff, just chunks of it. You know what I mean? Big old chunks of coral that broken off. And that's what it, it looked awful. It looked sharp. It looked uh, completely uneven. The ground was just 
it, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And I'm thinking like, it was as far as the eye could see and thinking you had to just, you're, you're not just getting in a rhythm in that. It, I don't, I wouldn't feel it looked incredibly, uh, you know, mentally challenging to try to be so present in the moment and not just be able to walk along. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are a few sections where you can just get on like salt highways, um, that are flat <laughs> salt and you can just walk, but usually they're like, either a little bit muddy so you're like squishing in it or the I, I got unlucky enough to be on one of them during the heat of the day when the sun is like bouncing off of it like a mirror and I didn't expect to have to deal with heat issues um because it's winter but because of that solar gain I was like being in a solar oven like it, you know the only comparison I have to it is like when you get sunburned up on you know an, up in the alpine environment because the sun is reflecting off the snow super intense it was similar to that, but usually up high in the mountain, you also have like a cool breeze and that was not happening in death Valley that day. And so I actually ran into some pretty serious, uh, well, not serious, but I got close to some serious heat issues during the heat of, of that day where I was out in the uh, salt flat area. Um, but then yeah, tons of like rocky washy miles. And then yeah, miles on that, like ridiculous bumpy salt where you're just like, watching where your current step is going and trying to like gauge your balance for like the next two steps. So you don't like step in a hole or trip over a sharp edge. Cause I don't know if you could see it in the photo. Um, and you, people could Google this if they're really curious, but those formations like have these little razor edges coming off of them oftentimes. Yes. And like, if I fall on this, like that's going to definitely break skin, like 100% going to break skin. And then when it hits a harder part of me, like a bone, it's going to break off and it's going to be salt broken it's off. Salt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a salt knife. Like it's the most painful thing you can fall on, man. I mean, it looks awful. It, it, I'm, I'm looking at the picture right now and it's literally just miles. It looks like of it until you get to the mountains. And if, if you've never been to death Valley, I mean, it looks like the moon anyway, there's just imagine a beautiful mountain range and just no plants or nothing. Like it's just, just different shades of muted brown and gray. And it's 167 miles of this. And you made it 112. So that's, I mean, you didn't like quit very early on. You did most of the trip. I mean, I, I, are you going back out there? Oh yeah. I'll be going back. I'll be going oh. back. When I, the current record on it is just under seven days. And when I had to pull the plug because I was down to my last liter of water, I had only used, I hadn't even hit day three yet. Wow. Wow. So, oh my gosh, man. And so what, what's the last, I don't know, 50 ish miles like, is it, I mean, is it just as treacherous? Is it any easier? Is it harder from what you know? From what I know, it's more of the like slightly muddy, salty, I'll call them cruiser miles, but most people probably wouldn't consider it cruiser miles because you're kind of slipping a little with each step and you kind of have to like watch out for the deeper mud holes. But like, as far as like not having to step over giant mounds or worry about falling on salt razors in a way you can get into a little more of a rhythm. Cause it's just like, okay, you just get used to how much your foot slips each time and you can kind of just adjust for that. And your brain can kind of get in a little bit of a rhythm. So I think, I think the last section would have been, a little bit faster, especially if I didn't have the crazy blisters on my feet. So yeah, if, if I'd had the resources, I think it would have went. And so I definitely want to go back because I believe 
I believe I can do it. Oh, I totally do too, man. That's, that is crazy. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's so hard to like go transition back into elementary PE teaching <laughs> after an adventure like that. Your just brain is probably mush and, and I don't know, it just must feel like two different, completely different planets to you. I don't know. Cause a lot of adventure athletes talk about, talk about that difficulty of going back to regular life. Uh-huh. But since my regular life is trying to inspire young people, I feel like in a way I get fueled. Like I go do this cool epic thing and I get to come back and be like, Hey guys, guess what I did? Let me tell you about what you could do someday. Like you can do this stuff. I'm just some kid from some small town. And here you are a kid from a small town. Like anything I'm doing is possible. And so in a way it kind of fuels and inspires me. Although I think it is a little difficult to like get back in normal routines after like, Oh, you know, I'm in, in the habit of, well, not necessarily the habit, but for the last however many days I've slept, you know, in 30 minute, an hour and a half increments um, and deprived myself of, you know, social interaction or food or water or whatever. Yeah. It is a little bit weird to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to just go, you know, hang out in civilization like someone's going to complain to me about, <laughs> I don't know, like fill in the blank. Anything, like, yeah. Anything. anything, and I'm going to look at it and be like, huh, I really wouldn't complain about that. <laughs> but I hope our perspectives are different. <laughs> oh, my God, that is so crazy, man. That is too cool. And actually, you know, you're right. I, I think adventure, I, you know, I, I, I talk to my wife's elementary school. She's fourth grade teacher, and I'll talk to their class every year about bike touring, and I'm like, dang, I could do this every day. Like I could, I could hang out with these kids. They're just, they're in that. It, I, I think it is an easier transition talking to kids because they're kind of more open to those crazy ideas. I, you know what I mean? I don't know. They're not b- dug into the rut of society yet. With, yeah. With no. What is, what is the boundaries of what you can do? One of the things that stabs me in the heart the most, I've actually had a, a couple interactions with adults where it went this way, where like I'd be at a coffee shop or a bar or whatever, and someone in a at a table would know me and be like, "Oh, hard draft! Like, what crazy thing have you been up to?" Da 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 da. And I'd get talking about whatever the latest thing was, um, and there'd be someone who didn't know me at the table. It's like, "Do you get paid for this?" And like that—that's the question that comes to mind. That it's like, why would you do it if you're not going to get paid? Is yeah. there permanent? Like, oh man, that's so, that's so sad to me to, to, that like, to believe in a world, to exist, to swim in the water of believing in a world that you only do things because you're going to get like a tangible money reward out of it. And I mean, yeah, money is great. Cool. But I don't know, to me, experience and I don't know, I'll throw around the term legacy is a bit cooler to think about. Definitely. I mean, it's just so different how certain rea- certain people's realities, just there's no Venn diagram. It doesn't overlap anywhere. And so that's, you just don't know until you go experience it yourself. And, and that when, when you get all of it in full force, like talking to someone like you after just having no clue this world even exists, I mean, it can just melt your brain for a little <laughs> while. So I definitely was there, you know, when I was first discovering this whole world of adventure, I was like, People just bike across the country. Like, how, how do you, what? That's a thing? I thought it was some novel idea I had. You know what I mean? I didn't think it was like a, an entire subculture. It's just funny, but, you know, 
we all got to start somewhere. And I, I can imagine it's just, I bet you come across a lot of people like that. I mean, since I spend most of my time out doing stuff, I don't, not a lot, but it happens on occasion. <laughs> That's too funny, man. Well, dude, I, I got a couple, um, other questions. I, ha- I had a question. This is just kind of personal curiosity. What is kind of the etiquette with fastest known times and public lands when there's not a trail? What is kind of, is it just tread lightly? Because like Death Valley, obviously there was no trail clear across the park. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, as much as leave no trace as possible, like for example, with the Death Valley one, um, oftentimes in the desert crossing culture, people will use a desert cart. Um, and in the Death Valley, that's not okay because there's too many like fragile ecosystems that could be damaged. So it's literally the only thing you leave is your footprints. You pack out all your trash, you pack out anything you brought in with you is going to come out with you. And then obviously trying to avoid areas where sensitive, like obviously some of those plants that live in Death Valley, it's like, if you broke them, they've like, they're not going to survive. They're, they're barely that ecosystem is barely hanging on. Um, yeah. yeah, extremely delicate. It's extremely delicate. That's a better way of saying it. I mean, it's been in that delicate balance for longer yeah. than eons. <laughs> but you break that balance by mowing through it. So obviously, there's there's that that etiquette of sort of knowing the area you're in and what sort of impact you're going to have, and then like steering your way through in in a state of awareness with, uh, the impact you're going to have. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I was just, I was just personally curious. I haven't done any particular like off route FKT attempts or anything. And I'm not like the best expert. Cause most of my like off route where you're going to kind of choose your own route situations are in the mountains where you're in the snow or on glacier. Um, and that's different because literally all you're leaving is footprints and those footprints are going to melt away in like a matter of days. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably not the greatest expert to consult on that because not many, I think probably the most sensitive areas I've been through have been the ones that are in, uh, death Valley as far as off trail, completely off trail experience. I was just curious personally, like how does that get handled in? And if the park service has an issue with it or anything typically, I imagine someday if like population growth or whatever, and there's thousands of people attempting all of these different FKTs, but I'm, I'm probably one of very few people who've ever attempted it. And I mean, only two people have ever finished it. I know some of some national geographic explorers use it as a training, training grounds um, to prepare for other deserts around the world, but they only do portions of it. So I know, I know there's definitely like, people doing stuff there but yeah like you said there's so much open space where you're just going to be walking on salt or rocks or like non-fragile like there isn't life as far as we know it there um rain that that yeah it's it's not it's not super hard to navigate around the sensitive like uh salt marsh areas that makes sense and and, you know if it is somewhere more sensitive or somewhere that has more greenery that can be trampled. I'm sure at some point, you know, it's trails, trails are made because of, you know, out of necessity, out of not necessity, but out of kind of pattern, you know what I mean? Like roads are built on cow 
cattle routes and you know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. these routes, typically if the park service knew that hundreds of people were attempting like the crater lake or the, yeah, the crater lake loop or something, it probably had to eventually distinguish it as a, as a trail or, or limit it, but it's probably so infrequent that it's not making, you know, a big difference at all or, or so infrequent. It's not even an issue yet, but yeah, I, I wanted to kind of hear about, is there a, is there a location out there that you're just dying to attempt a FKT or a certain route that maybe a destination you just, that's not close to you, you can't drive to or something that's just like, Oh, one day. Oh yeah. More than one. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll put it, I'll put it this way. Ever since I've done the, the infinity loop on Mount Rainier, I've kind of fallen in love with that concept and so I started scouting where like the next level iteration of that would be like, where in the world can I find like a 20,000 plus foot mountain that I could pioneer the infinity loop on. And can you, what is that exactly? An infinity loop is sort of, you know, if you imagine drawing an infinity loop with the top of the mountain being right in the middle of the overlap yeah yeah you would start you would climb up and over the mountain ascending one side descending a route approximately on the other side then you would circumnavigate half the mountain back around to your starting point go over the mountain again and then circumnavigate the other half um so it involves a full circumnavigation and twice over the mountain holy crap I, I just thought it was the name of a trail. I didn't realize it was a concept like that. Jeez, that's really cool. Yeah, so yeah, the, I guess that explains why the you know the infinity loop on Rainier, like people took notice of it, is yeah, you do you have to climb and descend that mountain twice over the course of your effort and totally um, circumnavigate it. Wow, and circumnavigate it. Wow, dang, that just it's blowing my mind. Yeah, there's. Okay, so there's there's probably some routes out there that uh that are that fit that criteria and that that new level of challenge. That's awesome. So, so any, anything more immediate that you have planned? I know you want to do Death Valley again, but you got to probably wait till next Christmas break or something or Thanksgiving break. Um, I mean, yeah, worst worst case scenario, I have to wait all the way until next Christmas break. Um, I'll probably watch the weather for my spring break and see see if it's still cool enough during the day. Um, cause obviously since you have to carry all your own resources, um, from start to finish, like a difference of 20 degrees in the daytime temperature can make a huge impact oh, yeah. on the amount of water you need to carry. Plus then I'd be running into the issue with the melt off from the surrounding, uh, mountains and how marshy that's going to make some of the salt flat areas. Um, so, you know, worst case scenario is I have to wait a full year, but yeah, in the meantime, I have uh, another passion of mine is blending running plus free solo slash hard scrambling. So like climbing easy, moderate routes, like five, six, five, seven, five, eight routes and like blending them together with a mixture of running and doing like either a car to car loop or an out and back. And so I have a few classic routes from around the, around the U S that it's like, Oh, that needs to be turned into an FKT or this link up should happen. So those projects will probably happen this year. And I would like to get over 
to Europe if I can on my summer vacation because there's a a handful of a handful of them over there that I've been interested in for a while in in various countries of uh, of Europe and it would be cool to have a reason to go you know visit internationally again and sort of leave my name on something overseas would be kind of, it's kind of fun it entertains me it, it, like you said that's that's another example of it builds a framework for for justifying going over there you know I'd, I want to I want to bike tour across some countries and it's like you know I, I don't want to just go and see it you know fly exactly. and get a rental car or all that that would be fun like it would be a cool experience but I want to I want to experience it the way that I I know I love to you know what I'm saying just like you absolutely absolutely so I'm I'm toying like the I have a notebook with about 148 different FKT ideas in it <laughs> oh man and so the tough part is like which one do I want to do and like, which ones do I want to do this year or put off till next year? And then also like just watching the weather in these different places and going, okay, weather window's good here. I guess I'm driving South or I guess I'm booking a plane ticket to, um, you know, Vegas or whatever Yeah. Uh, to, yeah, very different reason to go to Vegas, right? Like, Oh, I'm yeah. going to run off red rocks. Um, <laughs> that's, that's dude. I think my wife and I've been to Vegas like 15 times and I've never gambled once <laughs> and I got married there too. So that, I guess I did take a pretty big gamble, but, uh, yeah, like we, we, it's just, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it, there, it's, it's a great cheap airport for, for death Valley, for grand Canyon, for red rocks, but on Zion too, I go to Zion there, which is great. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize it. They, they, they get stuck in town, but Man, I got two more questions, and we can wrap it up. This Fire one, away. this one is is more. I just kind of want to hear. I'm sure you get a lot of people that are like, "Why do you go to these places and try to do them as fast as possible?" What 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 do you tell the person who says you're missing out because you're doing these things too quickly? You're you're absolutely nailing it there. I'll say that. Like I have heard that. Okay. Uh, the most wonderful example of it was when I went to do Rainier for the first time, I was doing it as a part of the Cascades trifecta, which I haven't mentioned what that is. That's when you climb Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, and Mount Hood all in a single day. Huh? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did not know that was possible. It, it is possible. You drive between them for that record. Yes, but um, still. Yeah, it is doable. It is doable. So far, three people have succeeded at it as, as far as I know. Uh, myself being one of them and so the guy was like oh don't don't go fast on rainier it's different it's special um and like you know he's a friend of mine and i, I wanted to respect that but at the same time it's like no you don't understand like one of the reasons one of the ways i enjoy a mountain is feeling all of the sensations of my body fatiguing as i push myself on it and if I were to just like casually walk on, I would, it would almost feel to me feel disrespectful. Like I'd be letting myself down. I'd be letting the the whole experience of being in the place, like it would take a notch off of the experience if I wasn't pressing into it, like engaging with all I could bring. And so I did it and I did the Cascade Trifecta, knocked out all three of them, set a new record, 19 hours, 28 minutes. Um, and then I come back and I climb it again, two more times again, fast, um, as a part of the Rainier infinity loop, which, you know, took a, over the course of two days and seven hours. 
Um, so like over the course of, you know, what, what was that? Like, yeah, 10 days, I went from having never climbed Rainier to having climbed the DC route on Rainier three times and having descended the Immens route on the other side of the mountain twice. And so like my response in a way, like I never actually say it to the person, but my thought in my head is no, like I'm, I'm going to go experience more because I'm moving faster and I'm taking care of my fitness. Fitness is freedom. Like you're able to unlock more, not less. So I've visited the top of that mountain three times now, as opposed to the teams that I passed, which visited it once and still were on the mountain almost as long as me. So I guess that's kind of with the mountain environment. That's kind of my thought is it's like, you can go, you can go do something on Saturday. And if you knock it out on Saturday, instead of taking two days, you can then go do something on Sunday too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing less. I'm doing more. Man, that's so crazy. Cause you know, I'm just, I'm just glad we're all made differently because I'm, I'm definitely one to saunter. You know, I, I, I'm like, oh, look at this, look at this pine cone. Let's look at this. <laughs> oh, look at this little, uh, little leaf. Let's look at this. I'm definitely, I definitely don't enjoy that. I, I enjoy it at times, but I'd say most of the time I'm getting away to chill and, uh, I enjoy a nice hike or walk and, um, I don't know, maybe it's just a stage in life, but I, I see you and, absolutely say no i totally get it i've felt that way for seasons or for an era or for an experience and totally get what you're where you're coming from so and likewise i totally get where you're coming from too like i've never been able to sit still so like i yeah, tend not, yeah. to, not to like saunter along but but i think i think in a later season of life perhaps i will and then also when whenever somebody's out there on the mountain with me or on the route and like I'm passing them and they want to make some comparative statement of like, Oh, you're making us all look bad. Like if I had a dollar for every time somebody said that I could, I could buy myself a bottle of money. They make this comparative statement. And I always like have to figure out how, how in the amount of time that I have as I'm passing them and getting out of earshot, can I say something meaningful back? Because I don't want to just blow by and seem rude. I, I, like I want to, I want to actually return that with something meaningful. And usually, the the premise of what I say back is, "No, nah, man. What matters is we're both out here. Like it doesn't matter. Like in the big scheme of giant pieces of rock slamming around giant burning balls of gas, like it does not matter that I'm moving a few steps quicker than you every right. minute. Like it is irrelevant." Like you're out here having the experience of your life. Dwell on that. Don't dwell on the fact some guy passed you. Absolutely. You know, like, because I could easily get into that trap too. Like I could be like, oh man, Carl Egelhoff or Killian Journey, like I'll never be that fast. Like, why should I even try? I should just give up now. You know, like there's no happiness in comparison. Happiness is in like finding an experience that you feel is worth it for you and going for it. Oh man. That was good. No happiness in comparison, man. That's so easy to get trapped into so many times, but that's a lot to say as you're passing them. I'm, I'm sure it's a lot more <laughs> yeah, it's, succinct it's, than that. It's way succinct. It's, it, it's the, it's the, we're both out here. That's what matters. We're both out here. Hey, there you go, man. Cause you know, we, we really are all spinning around the sun pretty much at the same pace, pretty much at the same speed on this little 
this little ball of, of, of molten magma and, <laughs> and, and crust, you know, it, it's, it, you're, you're, you're running, but in the grand scheme, you're not really going much faster or whatever it's, it's, it is, you're right, man, you're out there, you know, life changes for everyone. There's, I'm sure I'll get the, the itch to, to move more quickly at some point. I think I'm just an old man at heart. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of grumpy all the time, <laughs> but anyway, that, no, that's, that's incredible, man. I'm going to use that as the, uh, the show quote at the beginning, if I can remember to no happiness in comparison. Amen. So, Amen. you know, I really appreciate you just talking about this, um, this sport that's, I, th- I think it's going to be growing just as more and more people find joy in it and more and more people, you know, just can challenge each other, challenge against each other and themselves. And, and like you said, you can fit more in because you're moving quicker and because you're moving lighter. That's definitely appealing with, as we get older and get more responsibilities and more, you know, demands on our time. That is incredibly appealing. One of the guys I'm coaching, the reason he approached me is he's like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a dad of one with another on the way, but I have this passion to start getting out in the mountains and I'd written it off because I had thought like, Oh, mountains, that's like all weekend. That's, you know, multiple days. Like I'd have to take a day off work and be away from my family. There's no way. And he saw what I was doing. He's like, do you think I could get to where I could knock out a mountain like Mount Shasta or Mount Whitney and do it in a single day and then get back to my family? And I'm like, absolutely dude like we can totally get you ready for that and you know he has a, he had a decent background of taking care of himself and and being fit and so he's like making great progress and he's going to get you know as the season progresses for shasta in may he's going to get his chance to like break away and go for it and yeah really psyched totally totally worth it too and that challenge is you know it's sometimes you need those restrictions to even get yourself out there in the first place we have a we had a guy on last year who who para, paraglides off of volcanoes in Mexico, and he had a baby and said he bought a hyperbaric chamber to sleep in so that when he gets, he'll leave on a Saturday morning, like at two in the morning, drive up to a mountain and climb up to 18,000 feet, jump off, paraglide down to his car, and then drive back. That, that saves him from having to acclimate, essentially, from Mexico mm-hmm. City, and he's like, I can be back for dinner and have climbed an 18,000 foot mountain all in the same day and not miss out on time. Cause I want to, not cause I feel like I have to, cause I, I want to be home with them and, and experience it. And I would have never challenged myself to do that otherwise. And I'm like, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. It's inspiring. So man, I, I really don't want to take up more of your time and I should probably help my wife with, with our little one as he should be going to bed soon. Do you, do you mind sharing where people can find out more about you and follow you and your journey? I'm, I'm definitely going to be following you now because you take good pictures too. So that, that's definitely an important part to me being able to see it. Uh, I try. I don't, I wouldn't say I take good pictures, but I do take pictures. Um, uh, so speaking of pictures, uh, probably the easiest way to follow what I do is Instagram. And it's just my first and last name at Jason Hardrath. Um, so that's, that's probably the simplest way I'm in the process of building a website. Also my first and last name, jasonhardrath.com. Um, it's, it's not much built yet though. So you won't find much there. Um, and then, and then Facebook, if, if anybody still does the Facebook, um, I'm on there and a lot of, a lot of my postings will go up there. 
um, and a lot of descriptions of what I'm doing or how I'm doing it or the gear that I took. Um, also, like you can shoot me questions on those platforms. I'm not I'm not the type of athlete where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to keep my secrets to the grave with me because I don't want you to be. It's like I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. Like yeah. if you ask me a question, I'm going to give you the breakdown. I mean, please don't go beat my time on a record that I'm saying I'm going to go through before I get a chance to do it. At least let me get my name up there and then beat me the next day. Um, <laughs> but you know, respect, right? Respect. Yeah, um, you won't have to worry about me doing that. <laughs> yeah, probably those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Perfect. All right, cool. Well, Jason, I really appreciate you being on the show and, and telling us some of your story. I'm sure you uh, we could talk for hours more, I know. And uh, if you're ever in the Denver area, man, hit me up. I will. I will. And I probably will be in Colorado for some goals this year. So. All right, man. Well, well thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, have a great night. All righty. See ya. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes. Share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.